0: Thank you for checking out Mental with Michelle, Collins, and Seth Showalter here to talk about imposter syndrome.
1: I'm just going to do like, Good morning, Vietnam. No. <laughs> do it. I don't care. No. <laughs> okay. You're listening to the Facebook network. <laughs>
0: Nothing's going your way.
1: You've had a bad day. It's good to. It's simple Michelle and Seth say
0: take a deep breath from fade to gray it's mental
1: uh, welcome back to mental I am one of your hosts Michelle Collins I am joined here today on the microphone by Seth Showalter say hi Seth hello there he is we are back again today to finish up this series that we've been working on, on imposter syndrome. I don't know, Seth, should we do a recap?
0: I think that that would probably be appropriate.
1: You get to define it this week. I had to define it last week.
0: Well, I'm stealing yours.
1: <laughs> Feel free.
0: Imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. a mismatch between who you think you are and what who you actually are. Uh, it's this idea that even given all of the credentials, even given all of your worth, your value, you don't see that in light of success and pressure, this idea of feeling like an imposter, feeling like you yourself do not measure up.
1: And you're constantly worried that someone else is going to call you out for being a fraud or an imposter Mm -hmm. because you feel as though they legit- legitimately would have cause to do so.
0: <laughs> and so. then when you do succeed, <laughs> you also don't take credit for that. It has to be a mm-hmm. fluke or by chance or luck. So exactly. really you're screwed if you do and you're screwed if you don't.
1: <laughs> it's just an all around bad little phenomenon that goes on. Uh, and I think we, and we have said this before, but I'll say it again. It, it's pretty under talked about in my opinion i think a lot of people have experienced it or are experiencing it or recognize it when it's discussed but would never recognize any kind of definition of it like it wouldn't occur to them that they fall into that category
0: well i think one of the reasons that we don't hear much about it or or people don't know about it first of all it's not in the dsm-5 right so this is not a diagnosable syndrome Um, it's more of a a collection an idea rather in how this impacts you
1: Right, and I think we talked a little bit last time too that that it can be mistaken for a self-image issue and probably they go hand in hand we we have a tendency to see our accomplishments as not as important as maybe they really are and certainly if we are then castigating ourselves and well, I'm not good at this and I'm not good at that, but I've achieved here. it's just one step further to say I must be an imposter. So I think they kind of go hand in hand. but I think it like you said, it is it's something that we should say it's not diagnosable. so that's something I think people worry about. like they don't want to cop to anything that's like a mental health issue because they're wor- they're worried about being diagnosed with a mental health issue. When in reality, most of us probably have at least one or two mental health issues on any given day. And there's there shouldn't be a stigma associated with that. Unfortunately there, there is. There yeah.
0: shouldn't. But it's interesting because this is not a diagnosis. So no. you can't even be diagnosed with this. You can't right. go into a psychiatrist's office or a counselor's office and say, Hey, I would like a diagnosis of imposter syndrome, right. please. <laughs> they can't give it to you.
1: Not so in official rest, capacity. <laughs> right.
0: But rest assured, so don't fear if you have imposter syndrome right. that you're going to be diagnosed. You're going to be put in a book somewhere that someone's going <laughs> to track you down or prescribe certain medications because you have this diagnosis. Eh, some medications might be helpful, but they're might not be. going to to give you medication based upon this. Based upon no. this. this is a. a Essentially, just a term by which we can better understand how low self-esteem. Because low self-esteem and imposter syndrome are two different yeah. things. Yes, but they're yes. also the same. So, looking at that tie they between them, because I think that it that if you have low self-esteem, it's probable that you may also have this this way of viewing yourself is that you are not valuable or that you are not good enough or that no matter what you do, you're not going to succeed. Kind of looking at living in this place of comparison at all times.
1: Yeah. I think another point of differentiation there between the two is probably that typically if you're, if you're only, and I don't mean to diminish this at all by saying if you're only, but if you're only dealing with a self-image issue, typically you probably haven't stepped out to do much in the form of achievement because you didn't feel like you were capable. Whereas imposter syndrome kind of bridges that gap and says, well, I have all of these achievements or certifications or degrees or accolades or whatever the case may be. I just don't deserve them. So there's, there is a differentiation there, um, but I do think that they are typically connected on some level. So we have to, I think we kind of have to evaluate that. I know that for myself, as I, as I had told you before, and I've shared here that when I came across this and started, you know, reading about what it was, I realized very quickly, Mm -hmm. this is me, but I do know that I have had a really poor self image my entire life. So that poor self image in my case actually spurred me towards trying to achieve to prove that I was good enough. And then once having reached those achievements, dismissing them as unimportant, which seems like around low and around we go. Low <laughs> self-esteem
0: just, it's going to, it gets everybody. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum um, in regards to success or socioeconomic status mm-hmm. or achievement. Low self-esteem can impact everyone. And this is really how mm-hmm. it it displays with people who have seen I don't even want to say success, who have seen achievement, right? <laughs> um, who have who have accomplished yeah, right. things, but then don't feel like those accomplishments really matter or that they're yeah. valuable.
1: Well, then we, we also talked about the idea that those kind of show up in four mm-hmm. different ways. Um, the four P's, if you will, of our P psychology. <laughs> so we talked about that. We talked about the idea of paralysis, being unable to actually move forward in doing anything Because you're so overanalyzing everything that you do as to its viability or importance. And, of course, that leads into a discussion on perfectionism. Because you're
0: overanalyzing everything. So, by by nature, you're going to want to do everything correct and beat yourself up when you do things wrong. And because of that, it kind of drives this sense of perfectionism. Which, as you were about to say, and I rudely interrupted, I think we both deal with.
1: We did. We both discussed that. It, it's it's part of mm-hmm. both of our makeup, and and that and that happens for a lot of different reasons. But certainly, it, it further eva- uh, you know exacerbates this issue because we're constantly trying to live up to some impossible standard. And then, as you pointed out, even if we do hit that standard from time to time, we attribute right. it to luck or something outside of ourselves. It couldn't just be that we were good enough. It's outside of us.
0: If we look so, at that perfectionism this need to do everything right, Mm -hmm. we also, in essence, self-sabotage ourselves and then also procrastinate. So we're in this state of, we have to do everything (laughs) right, but you know what, we're doing everything right, so let's give ourselves a break. And by giving ourselves a break, we (laughs) procrastinate and then put ourselves into an even more difficult situation.
1: Which often leads into that final one, that people-pleasing, because both perfectionism and procrastination are a killer when you're trying to people please. Well, I would say primarily procrastination. As a pro-level procrastinator, I can say that I am often devastated by the fact that I may have let somebody yeah. else down. And and so I struggle with that part of the process, even though it's not something I'm actually able to control sometimes. We talked about that, the idea that I, I know I'm procrastinating and I can't make myself mm-hmm. stop. But then I'm constantly worried on the other side of what people are going to think. Those people that are waiting on me for something or counting on me for something, what are they going to think about me? They're going to realize, oh, no, I didn't know what I was talking about or I'm not good at what I said I was good at. And so you further feed that idea of being the fraud. You're going to be found out. Um,
0: Somehow. Somehow. (laughs) They're going to figure out. Yeah, eventually. You are not who they thought that you were. And, and again, coming back to comparison for me personally, that's at a, that's at the root of a lot of my mental health struggles to be Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. flat out honest. Uh, when looking at my anxiety (laughs) and even my bouts of depression, it generally, there's comparison at some point in, in where, in that process. And I think that comparison by nature drives you into people pleasing it drives you into this need Mm -hmm. to make sure that everyone is okay with how you're with who you are and what you're doing
1: and it's it's a difficult way to live in all honesty it's 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 very brain taxing you know you're constantly inside yourself trying to evaluate what's happening um, which can be mentally exhausting as I'm sure you know, yes. or at least I hope yes. I hope you know I, <laughs> along with I'm me. I'm
0: <laughs> very much uh, acquainted with exhaustion, and it's not physical yeah. exhaustion. It is internal, <laughs> mental, mental, emotional exhaustion. Or emotional, yes. yes. Also, right. I've noticed when I am emotionally and mentally exhausted, I am like my emotions are so much on the verge. Like I can, yes. I can watch like a three minute video and and just find myself, yeah, distraught. Yeah.
1: In a puddle. I can't. Where's the <laughs> Kleenex? I'm I the same way. I know. I swear, there's been some commercials on TV that have done me in. Like those 30 second commercials oh, are just a and killer.
0: TikTok now, <laughs> like TikTok. Oh, I see. Oh, I stay I'm away from TikTok. all that. So. TikTok has these videos. Uh, Sometimes you uh, will uh, find uh. videos. There's um, like when army, um, not army, but military members come back. There's like a special tag. For oh that. yeah. Like those were. There's drinker. all kinds of stuff on there you'll run into is even around Black yeah. Lives Matter right now, there's some really powerful oh, videos really? Um, that really huh. will just crush you.
1: I'm just old enough that the newer technology stuff, I'm like, oh, how do you well, use I this? You. <laughs> oh, I feel like I have all my little apps, you know, that I normally use, and I feel pretty confident there. But any of the new ones, I'm like, <laughs> age has now become my excuse. I don't know, I'm too old to learn all that stuff. <laughs> Well, in, oh, in talking anyway. about
0: this emotional exhaustion, um, I just want to mention that because mm-hmm. when you're there, self care is so important. Because because okay. I tend to be on that emotional edge when I'm there, and if I don't do some self care, it's not a fun it's not a fun ride, folks.
1: Right. <laughs> well, unfortunately, self care. Well, I guess it's becoming more of a positive thing to be discussed now. It used to be that if you took time out for yourself, of course, you were lazy or you were selfish or, you know, but the reality is, you know, I go back to that silly example of the airline, you know, if the oxygen mask drop, you have to put it on yourself before you can help somebody else. So I
0: use that story. I love that you mentioned it because I was about (laughs) to go there.
1: I was, yes. Were you see, we're I was about to
0: go there because that is my, I used, that was my, one of my like spiels. And my whole thing was always yeah. if you're on an airline and they always come up and they do that demonstration. And it's like, if you have a child, like if you have a small child, the inclination is to take care of your child before you take care of yourself. But the problem is that if you take right. care of your child first, you may not succeed mm-hmm. and you will both pass away. Because you're not going to have the exactly. time to put it on yourself. So we have to first.
1: Well, so that right. comes back to we self-care. We have to
0: first take care of ourselves in order to take care of anyone else.
1: Mm-hmm. So then that leads, of course, into what we talked about last week. Yes, it does. That internal critic, mm-hmm. that voice that sits inside of our head and constantly tells us that we're messing up. Or, or or going back to what I just said, you're selfish, you're lazy. all of. I mean, and I think I told you last week, my internal critic is really bitchy and pretty loud. So that's something that we have to work on learning how to evaluate whether that self-critical voice is accurate or not. And is it helpful?
0: Right. Is it helpful? And I think so often it is not.
1: I think most often it isn't. Well,
0: see I tried to give it a little I tried to give <laughs> it a little ground, see. See what I did there? See I struggled with I it think- too.
1: Well, we can throw in some religious terminology here if we wanted to. We could Duh. throw in words like discernment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could throw in words like the Holy Spirit. I mean, that that's that voice. But it's hard to sell that because that voice is so often negative.
0: You opened the door. <laughs> you opened the door, Michelle.
1: <laughs> I did. Let's go. <laughs> if
0: you want to talk about Holy Spirit. uh huh. First of all, in regards to mental health. I have worked with a lot of individuals over the years with serious mental health disorders like schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder. And I've always found it really interesting because they always get tied to to, uh, Christianity pretty early. And not always, but a good portion of the time, there is like this infatuation with the Holy Spirit and the voices that they're receiving and connecting those two things. And I think for us... Even if you don't have a serious mental health disorder, <laughs> we do that ourselves with our own internal voice. And how yes. do we? How do we differentiate between the two? Because at so many times, I my guilt because I will experience guilt, and I associate it with this idea that I'm not good enough. Um, I tie mm-hmm. the two, and and where is the Holy Spirit in the mix of that?
1: I think that we have to remember, and it's very difficult to do so because for so many they've been conditioned to believe that God berates Mm -hmm. and that God is beating you up for your missteps. And so that becomes a part of having to kind of deconstruct your ideas of God. The Holy Spirit should actually be a positive voice. It should be a gentle persuasion. It should be a gentle guidance. It should not be that ugly, nasty voice that says, why are you such a failure?
0: Conviction, Michelle. The Holy Spirit is there to convict us of our sins and lead us down the right path.
1: Okay, but we've idealized the term conviction to the negative. And that has to go with the idea of a court of law and a judge and a jury and all of those things. Conviction can also be that gentle persuasion.
0: See, I want to push back because when we die, where do we go? we go to a jury with god and he determines whether we're valuable or not and if we make it into heaven like there's a okay. whole thing
1: see now i think that we're introducing our next series i think we, we are early and i need here. to come
0: <laughs> and i need to come back i'm backing up i'm backing so we're going
1: to come back to this sorry. i think <laughs> today we're finishing up imposter syndrome
0: <laughs> i'm really sorry michelle
1: no everyone, that's cool because everyone. we're going to circle back that's cool
0: yeah i'm very excited for our next series and it roll it literally for me personally <laughs> as you have just witnessed it th- these two things are tied
1: well everything is tied i mean this is all internal process this is all internal thinking this is this is how we function and deal with ourselves mm-hmm. so of course that's all going to be tied so there's nothing wrong with that part of the discussion and again, it does lead into the next thing we want to talk about. First, I just want to go through the last few things that we wanted to talk about with this, and then we can certainly start that discussion. I'm fine with that.
0: Not yet. Not yet. We first <laughs> have to talk about recovery from imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. That's what this episode is all about. Yes. And we're going to talk about- <laughs> the,
1: dangers, the dangers of going back and, and reconvening on everything we've already talked about. because right. There's always more to talk about.
0: <laughs> As you can see- <laughs>
1: Stuff but that's okay up. because I think those are valid parts of the conversation they as are. well. They are. But yes, recovery, and I kind of cringe at that word to be honest with you.
0: Let's mm, uh, talk about because it because I
1: don't know that you recover from something like this. I think you learn how to live with it and evaluate it outside of the emotion of it. You mean that's my that's my personal opinion. There's not so a we're, we're calling it recovery, but I don't know there's that
0: there's not you a whole well, time out. There's not a cure. <laughs> There's not oh, a, there's not a, there's not, not a this, and then we're done. No. Oh.
1: If there were, I would have already dealt with that bad boy and been done with this whole nasty chapter. <laughs> That's
0: fair. So would I. <laughs> if I had oh. the, if I didn't procrastinate, you know, to the point that I never exactly. that I never did it.
1: And if I wasn't paralyzed <sighs> by how I felt in my. Hair. See, we could sit here and circle oh, back forever and ever and ever.
0: Everyone, we could just talk about this all day. Sure. Uh, but let's let's break down in talking let's, about let's recovery. Now, so we're not saying that you're going to recover and that you're just going to magically be better, but that this right. is a gradual process. And And right. really, we're looking at a process of self-acceptance and really coming to this understanding of being okay with who right. you are.
1: Well, I think we have to go back to the idea that imposter syndrome is basically triggered by our fear of being judged by others the way that we judge ourselves, you know? And so there's this, so the key word there being judge, and I think that becomes very much the center of the conversation as it pertains to recovering from this, if we're going to use recover as as our terminology, because we have to say, well, we have to, we have to differentiate between judging and evaluating. Judging, of course, is emotionally charged it again it brings up the ideas of a courtroom and a judge and a jury and some kind of conviction and some kind of conviction wrongdoing
0: conviction key yes key there i mean and in so, judge yeah
1: yeah all of those things but now here's something that i heard one time and this just popped into my head but why is it that we automatically correlate the word judgment with something negative why do you think that is because if you if you stop and consider if you were in a court of law sometimes your judgment is not guilty
0: Yes, it often is. But we automatically correlate
1: guilty. to the negative.
0: Well, because you're under, you're under, evalu- like, you, I was going to say you're under evaluation. Uh, <laughs> you're under judgment. You know, you're there's this waiting. Judged. There's there's a judge and there's a jury. And right. and the verdict is out.
1: But, you know, it, it can difference. go either
0: way. But it's that that fear of that it's going to be you are guilty.
1: Right but up until the verdict is given it's not you're not under judgment you're being evaluated and that the is, evidence is being evaluated and that is scary. the circumstances are being evaluated it's only after the decision is made that you receive a judgment and that judgment is not necessarily negative but as it pertains to this conversation typically we are judging ourselves to the negative almost always and as you said a lot of that times that's uh, it's goes along with being compared to something right um So we have to kind of step outside that situation and say, okay, let's talk about the difference between judging and evaluating. And I think I kind of opened that up. Evaluating means that we've stepped outside of the process and we are looking at it from all angles and trying to understand it. Judging means that we're coming to a conclusion. And you and I have had this discussion before because it also seems to correlate with the conversation on shame versus guilt. And, of course, Brene Brown is very big on discussing the differences between shame and guilt. So – Tell me what you what the differences are based on your understanding.
0: Guilt says I have done something wrong. Right. Shame says I myself am wrong.
1: Right. And that kind of comes back to the difference between judging and evaluation. Evaluation is about looking at behavior, judging is about identity. It it creates an I am statement. Just like shame does. And and both of those are negatively correlated with our self-image. We tend to suffer in our self-image because of those things. Right. So I think that we have to really look at that. And again, going back to the ideas of right and wrong, again, I hate to say that's subjective, but on some level it is subjective because your ideas of right and wrong will differ from mine. And And so I can feel a certain way about myself and say, well, I'm wrong to feel that way. And you would look at it and say, I don't see that. Because we have a different understanding of those terms.
0: And different experiences and different backgrounds. Absolutely. Yes.
1: Right. Right. So all of those things actually play a part in how we're doing this. We have to learn to stop judging and learn to start evaluating. It doesn't mean that we're not going to come to the conclusion that, yeah, I could have done better. But what it means is that we're going to take the emotion out of it and we're going to evaluate it on its merit rather than on how we feel about something. And again, going back to the ideas of imposter syndrome, much of that is about how we feel. Right. So if we're going to get, if we're going to recover from that idea, we have to get past that idea of needing to feel something and just say, let's look at the facts and decide what the facts say. Right.
0: Because so often our feelings are so subjective and feelings can change and feelings can be wrong frequently now granted your feelings are valid they're unique to you right Um, all of that but it it isn't always based in reality at least i can testify to that right you know i think even last in our last episode i cracked a joke about how i wrote a date wrong you know my feeling was this is the end of the world actuality was nobody cares you know, so exactly. there is definitely <laughs> a difference, and I really liked you mentioned this about in regards to judgment versus evaluation. That judgment is kind of a an end all, right. uh, meaning like there's a set judgment, and then you face the consequences. Whereas evaluation is an ongoing process. It, it's not like there's an end. We're always, we should always be evaluating ourselves and evaluating of our actions and our behaviors and our thoughts and our feelings like that. That's something that we should continue to do on a, every day. Exactly. It's continual. Whereas this judgment comes with this fear that you are going to be a failure. And it and it, it speaks in definite terms where it's like in stone. And and that's so defeating. To your oh, own success, sure. and and really yeah, to your absolutely. own self-image. If we want to get back to the self-image stuff, like yes. it, it really defeats it defeats you.
1: Yes, and that's why it's so damaging. Um, but again, it's so it's so very real for each of us. That's mm-hmm. I mean, again, if we're going to go back to Christian ideology, I mean, Jesus even said, "Judge not, lest ye be judged." Be careful, Michelle. Well, we do it all the time, and again, we have to differentiate. Or actually, we have to go back to the original definition of the word deconstruction and say this is about unity of text. And what is the definition of judging that we're using? Because we may understand it from two different pr- perspectives. That would cause, you know, some mm-hmm. issues in the discussion. And I've had those those occurrences before when I'll say somebody, we're not supposed to judge other people. Well, of course we are. We have to judge everything. We have to – well, what they're actually saying is we have to evaluate everything. But as you said, judgment – seems to issue a final verdict so they're saying they're using the word judge from a perspective of evaluating and I'm using judge from a verdict standpoint a way of saying it we're not speaking on the same level mm-hmm. but we're talking around the same idea right so to speak but it so it, it means it's, it's a valid conversation
0: very different things
1: yes it does internally so but that is so if we're going to recover and again using that term loosely if we're going to recover from imposter syndrome we have to we have to Step back from the judgment aspect and start evaluating. Um, and so that means a lot more observing rather than coming to an, a, con- a conclusion. We have to take some time and see what the perspective is, what the circumstances are, and where we fit into that so that we can, so we can come to a good conclusion as opposed to a snap judgment, you know, which of course we're always on the negative end of.
0: Right. And I, <laughs> that's where I'm headed. So yeah. that's where there is a sense being hard on myself like i there's it's almost like an addiction to where i'm i'm so used to doing it in fact doing the opposite for example using like self affirmations or talking positively about myself feels so uncomfortable and feels wrong and, and pa- it feels inauthentic yes. and part of that is Because I have been running a negative tape for so Mm. many years Uh, to where it's so ingrained, fighting against that can be so difficult. And that's why I really think looking at the definitions of judgment versus evaluation are so important because I don't even think Mm -hmm. that crosses our minds because we're so used to judging ourselves. We're so used to Mm -hmm. being hard on ourselves that it comes second nature. And so part of what this series is about and what Michelle and I really are encouraging is to start fighting against that, to start fighting that internal critic.
1: Yeah. Because it's not our best friend. No, no, it's (laughs) not. It just isn't. It may be the most, it may be the most constant voice associated with us, but it's not necessarily your best friend. It more often than not does damage to you personally, causes self doubt most often, and leads you down a road that you can never win. Mm -hmm. And we all have too much to do. We have aspirations. We have goals why are we allowing ourselves to be in the way? There's plenty of other things that are probably going to be challenges to us along the way. It shouldn't, ourself, we ourselves should not be our biggest stumbling block, but yet we are.
0: And there's some, satis- and there's some satisfaction in it. I
1: <laughs> I know that doesn't
0: sound right, but for me there is, like I am so used to that feeling, it's comfortable.
1: Right. Well, and again, you know, I, I used, I don't know if I've used this, example here it's one i've used quite a few times in my life if if you are somebody who is made sick by dairy but every day of your life you've been given a chocolate shake Mm -hmm. you've gotten very conditioned to drinking a chocolate shake every day now it's not good for you it makes you feel bad uh it can make you ill but you have one every day so it's comfortable but suddenly one day somebody takes away the chocolate shake Now your body feels better, but your mind is in disarray because it's lost the thing that it recognizes as comfortable and you don't know what to do with yourself. Well, that's, this is akin to that. You are taking away something that has become very habitual to you and comfortable, and you're having to rearrange how you function around that loss. And you're right. It's, it's very devastating for a while. It's something you really have to work at. It's hard work but it's beneficial. It's better for you. And so we have to set aside those feelings of comfort for a little while. Look, the reality is for this entire time, if you've been listening to those negative voices, you may say you're comfortable, but you haven't lived in comfort. It's been constantly a chafing sensation. Now you have to just be used to being uncomfortable for a different reason that's going to end up being a positive. Right. You know, so we have to work through those things. And I can see you right now getting ready to argue with that. So <laughs> I can see your face. I, I know what's happening.
0: I just don't like it because I, <laughs> because I'm guilty, ladies and gentlemen, I'm guilty and I I'm guilty of having imposter syndrome. I'm guilty of being comfortable (laughs) with the voices. And sometimes it feels so much easier to just give in. And it's so comfortable. And it's, but the issue is that it's stagnant. So, yes, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. (laughs) I I can be hard on myself. I can allow others to be hard on myself. I can listen to compliments and be able to pick out actual criticisms in the compliments. (laughs) And I find comfort in that because I'm so Mm -hmm. used to it. And making those steps, making what Michelle's talking about here, where we start challenging it, it takes work. And quite frankly, I'm emotionally exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at, at times. So, yes. knowing that. Well, that's, that's
1: what I mean, though. This is a process. It's something you have to, recovery is not a pretty thing. And and I think I said this to you earlier, uh, recovery or success isn't, in a, it isn't in a straight line. This is going to be a messy little process, a messy journey. Because nothing that has had such a big effect on you in changing that can be anything other than messy. It's just not possible. And again, so you're, you're talking about almost being addicted to negativity. Well, just like with any addiction, there's a a period of withdrawal. There's a period of readjustment. There's all of these things that go along with that, with that idea of getting better or recovering from that addiction. So if we're talking about imposter syndrome and trying to get rid of the negativity, one of the things, and we mentioned this last week, and I know that we had some comments asking for a little bit more information. One of the ways that we can work around that are affirmations. Now Michelle and-
0: <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> affirmations are silly. You mean to tell yeah, me I thought so you too. mean to tell me that I could just like write I am enough twenty times every day and that's going to somehow fight against my internal critic?
1: No, I think that's too vague and too general. And I don't think that you're stupid. I think you're gonna know if you're bullshitting yourself.
0: Okay. You know, so, and so
1: when when we create an I am statement that's very vague like that, immediately we're gonna discount it. Yeah. So it it has to be much more specific than that. I am statements are very powerful because immediately your brain and your subconscious begins to work towards whatever that I am statement is. That's why you want to stay away from like negative terminology, you know, because your brain isn't recognizing words like don't or can't or won't. So exactly. So you have to be very specifically positive about what that affirmation is or that I am statement is to to get your brain focused on moving in that direction. So,
0: you know, we know our own bullshit when we see it and when we hear it. So anytime I write a self-affirmation, I feel like it's bullshit so let's
1: and you will for a while anyway no matter what that affirmation okay is. so
0: unpack this because i know you've had i okay. mean i have experience with self-affirmations and i can talk about it but i i know you this really means a lot to you so i want to hear from you here
1: well I, I i struggled with it just like you do when it was presented to me i felt foolish mm-hmm. i felt like i was just lying to myself yep. I I would laugh often Mm -hmm. when I said them because I just felt like this is so stupid. This isn't helpful. This isn't beneficial to me. But that at that subconscious level, it is, it's going to take a while. That's why there is a, a habitual part of this process. You have to actually get in the habit of doing something for a period of time so that your brain can begin to acclimate to that idea. So for me, I had a list of affirmations that helped me move in the direction I wanted to. So for instance, uh, I was writing my book at that time, but I was struggling with being called a writer or an author. I, I didn't like that word. I felt like somebody's going to go, you're not an author. So that imposter syndrome was wearing its head. And I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable with that. So one of my affirmations is, or was, I am a writer and writers write. So write, which sounds silly, And it sounded like preaching to myself or a pep talk or whatever, but I began to write that. As silly as it felt for the first few weeks, it was not very long after that, that I had been, I had been in a period of not being able to write. It was almost writer's block. A few short weeks into doing that affirmation, suddenly I sat down one day and this thought popped in my head and I started writing and I looked up three hours later. Whoa. And I had like five or 6,000 words written. Whoa. And so it. I didn't purposely sit down and say, I'm a writer, so I'm in a right state. I didn't do that. I allowed the affirmation to build up inside of me. And then my nat, the natural conclusion was I acted in, in accordance with that idea. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying you have to be much it- more specific. It can't be this very vague. I'm a good person. Well, that's too vague. What does good mean? You know, so you have to be much more it specific. with sounds like, with yourself. It sounds
0: like brainwashing. This sounds like,
1: but you are. You are brainwashing yourself. Planned,
0: manipulated brainwashing on an intentional level.
1: But is it moving you in a direction that you wanted to go into being who you want to be? And if so, why is that bad?
0: Oh, that's good. I don't know. I just always – I always affiliate brainwashing as bad. (laughs) I don't – it's just – I don't know. It's what I've always done. But you're right. If it is achieving an ultimate goal, if it is achieving something positive, if your life is being – Benefited in this process. Right. What's wrong with it?
1: Right. It, again, it goes back to identity. We talked about that a little bit ago. The idea between shame and guilt, or judging and evaluation, is behavior versus identity. Well, we spend a lot of time self-evaluating and and making comments to ourselves about our behavior. What we need to be doing is programming the identity. And so another area that I had an affirmation on was in, in the area of health and fitness. And of course, you know, I'm a bodybuilder Mm and I'm, I'm planning to compete. Uh Well, along with that goes a lot of working out, a lot of watching what I eat and cardio and water and sleep and everything gets tied up into that. Well, that's far too many things to have affirmations about. So one of my affirmations was I compete at the highest levels. And I, I don't think that's the exact wording because I don't have it in front of me, but it was something along those lines. I, I am competitive at the highest levels. Well, in order for me to be competitive at the highest levels, those are things I have to do. And my brain knows that. Mm-hmm. So if I've got an affirmation that says I'm competitive at the highest levels, I am, in, I am going to begin to, to again, move in the direction of, of those behaviors that create that identity statement. Right. And so this is all, I mean, it all sounds very pie in the sky and everything but it's so key
0: here because honestly when i hear i operate at the highest levels that sounds vague to me so a a key thing i want to point out here is that these affirmations need to be specific but specific Mm -hmm. to you how the person you read them not how i would read them or anyone else would read them but that these need to be personalized and specific to what you know and what you're looking for
1: Right, because we each have different goals. We each have a different personality. Again, we each have a different understanding of the terminology we're using. So yes, they're very specific and they're very personal. But the idea behind each one of them is to create those new neural pathways that allow you to begin to move towards that identity that you've set for yourself in that I am statement. So again, you're going to feel uncomfortable with those for a while. You're going to feel foolish. You're going to laugh. Uh, I think I shared last time that at that time my life my life coach actually had me record myself saying them, and and I had to play that to myself. I was every getting day.
0: ready to bring that up because I <laughs> would not have done that.
1: Yeah, I really struggled with it. I really but did. I
0: think that I think that someone holding you accountable to where I need to get a video of you talking positive about yourself every morning mm-hmm. is legitimately one of the most powerful things I can think of in regards to it it really was it forces you there's there's a level of accountability held to you making steps to helping yourself and that's powerful stuff and when I heard you share that I was like first of all no way am I doing that but (laughs) how cool would it be if I did
1: right Well, now let's go back to something that we talked about, as I said previously in imposter syndrome, and that's people pleasing. So of course, when my life coach gave me that, my my first response is I want to people please. And so he needed that. So even though I felt foolish, the only reason I did it to begin with is because he had an expectation of receiving it. And I'm a people pleaser. It I didn't feel like it was having any kind of an effect. It was just keeping me out of the doghouse with my life coach. It was, you know, mm-hmm. oh, it looks like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do to progress here or whatever. But what begins to happen over a period of time is it does begin to penetrate. It does begin to actually work into your subconscious, and before you know it, it's not just doing it to people. Please, it's not just doing it because there's an expectation, but it's literally having a positive effect on your on your own mind and your own in your your thoughts and those little voices inside of your head. Mm-hmm. And actually, and I I don't have a life coach right now. I have an actual a competition coach. But that's one of the things that she talks with me about My in my check-ins. We go through all the physical stuff. But then her last question is always, how are you in the mirror? Mm. Because that's been a very big problem for me over the years. And I can honestly say within the last few weeks, me and that mirror are getting along pretty good most of the well, time. Pretty happy with what I see. I mean,
0: I've seen your Facebook pictures. I mean, I, I would be too. <laughs>
1: No, I will pick, I will pick those apart like you can't believe because all I see in them is the negative. So I'm having to force myself to, to look for the positives and, and to trust the feedback that's coming to me from somebody that I have given that right to, you know, my coach telling me, no, here's what I see. And so instead, and she will downright get angry with me if I start saying anything negative and she'll say, I want you to listen to me. You, you've trusted me. You've turned over your care to me. I know what I'm talking about. Here's what I see. I need you to see it as well. And that's starting to work. But again, that goes back to affirmations. Now, she wants affirmations for me too. I have to come up with some new ones because we talked about this not too long ago. And she's like, I think that's a really good idea. We need we need you to go back to affirmations for a while.
0: Well, so, it clearly had an impact. I mean, it it's It, it did. Works. And then
1: I kind of let it slide. <laughs> you know, you kind of get out of the habit after a while. and that's Well, we want to so. make
0: sure that we're forgiving ourselves when we and mess course, up. But... Yes. <laughs> also pushing ourselves to that greater to that to that goal right and clearly this has had an impact on you and that it's worked for you and and may i just say that not everything works for everyone right there's certain no it doesn't it's not saying that affirmations are going to work for everyone but it is something that i think is worth trying especially as we look at what this impact can actually be
1: yeah I think, and, and there's different, you know, there's different practices you can do. As I, I mentioned, we did the videoing. You may not be comfortable doing that. You know, maybe that's something you need to step into to learn to be comfortable, or maybe it's just not something for you. Um, but you can write them so many times a day. And actually for a period of time, my life coach had me writing them three times each with my left hand and my right oh, hand wow. because it forces your brain to mm-hmm. function differently mm-hmm. and it forces you to concentrate. And then he would have me. Deep breathe in and say the affirmation to myself and then breathe out. And I would have to do that. And I thought that was silly too. But I actually found that it brought a sense of calm. So these are just different strategies that you can use around the ideas of affirmation to help work on that whole idea of imposter syndrome, to get out of that mindset. To
0: stop judging Um, yourself and actually recognize and take value of the things that you have, that you are and that you have achieved.
1: And I think one of the other things that you can do, and I think that this has been something that's been a known thing for a long time for a lot of people. I mean, I, the Bible even tells us this, to be thankful for all things. Oh, gratitude. So gratitude is a huge thing. So when you, when that negative voice sits on your shoulder and starts telling you what an imposter you are, rather than trying to argue with it, find that positive thing and th- and be thankful for it, express gratitude out loud for it. And, and so shift the focus, shift the, uh, the idea of, of that condemnation that's ringing in your ear, shift it. Because what you're saying is, okay, I recognize that, but I'm going to be thankful for this instead. So you're not, you're not, you're not shutting it down and not giving it a voice, but you are jumping to something that you can be grateful for. So, uh, gratitude and then forgiveness. And I think you had mentioned that earlier, the idea that, we have to forgive ourselves. Wow. We have to be merciful to ourselves, which is difficult. So one of the first ways that you start learning how to give yourself a little grace and mercy is to offer it to other people so you get in the habit. So finding that forgiveness for somebody else creates a habit that then oh, you are able work. to give to yourself. That's I work. know. <laughs> but that's what recovery is I about. Know. It's about work. <laughs>
0: Jesus said, Forgive your brother 70 times seven, or something like that. Yeah. So, he didn't know my brother yeah, but, exactly, you know. he doesn't know mine either. <laughs> but in t- <laughs> forgiveness and gratitude, I think, are so key in all of this. Yes, because
1: in life in general, right.
0: I mean, I think that um, even having gratitude practices is something positive to do, mm-hmm. regardless of imposter syndrome, recognizing you how you got to where you are um, looking yeah. and, and showing thankfulness for the people that have helped you along this journey, because yes, you are comparing right. yourself and yes, you're procrastinating while while also trying to be perfect <laughs> and please everyone. But like, give yourself some grace, you know, yeah. learn to, to forgive yourself and really put in place a sense of thankfulness for the people that have come along the way.
1: I actually think those are the, probably the most important things if we're talking about recovering from imposter syndrome, that those are the most helpful in in how they function.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Because they're almost universal. Like I said, they apply to everything, not just to this, but they become a practice in your life. And and as they're a practice in your life, they're much more accessible to you at a habitual level when you start working on recovering from being an imposter (laughs) or from this syndrome of thinking you're an imposter.
0: Forgiveness and gratitude takes away our defenses and it, it literally allows us to learn to be still. I think so often with imposter syndrome is we're constantly striving to achieve. We don't ever give ourselves credit for our achievements, but it forces us and it pushes us to to strive for, for things. And in doing all of that, right. we don't ever slow down. And I think forgiveness right. allows us to provide grace, not only to others, but to ourselves. And gratitude allows us to really put in this sense of thankfulness.
1: Right. Well, if, as soon as you have to come up with something to be thankful for, you immediately disarm the negative right. voice. So it it is very beneficial. It is very helpful. It just needs to become a habit.
0: Mm-hmm. We've talked about a lot of different things today. Uh, we've really then I'll kind of across the gamut in, in regards to the recap and, and kind of talking about strategies for recovery. But the key thing above all of this I just want to throw out is that this is not a straight line. Right. That that this is a process. Everything that we've talked about, Michelle struggles with and deals with, I struggle with and deal with, a lot of people struggle and deal with. And and this is not something you're just going to be over tomorrow. That this is a gradual, continual process, um, as you evaluate and not judge who you are and what you've done and where you want to go. In in right. looking at where we're going next, right? Tell us a little bit about that, Michelle.
1: Well, we had had a discussion about talking about what's been commonly termed as deconstruction.
0: That is such a buzzword. <laughs> People are sick of hearing about deconstruction. I don't give a Seriously. shit.
1: Seriously. <laughs> Too bad. Either. <laughs> I think it's still a very know. much a topic for discussion because it, it happens in waves. It's not as though everybody mm-hmm. started at the same time. We've all finished deconstruction and we're just sitting around talking about it because we have nothing better. It's something that people continue to struggle with and and to work through. So I don't think it can be a discussion that's over. I think it. We have to look at it from different perspectives, possibly, but certainly, it's not. It's not just done for at this point. Maybe there'll okay. be a time when that's true, but again, it depends on what we're talking about. If we're talking about religious deconstruction, then yeah, I, at some point, maybe we're going to be done deconstructing what we believe religiously. But deconstruction in its entirety is about evaluating our lives.
0: Big picture, it has nothing to do with religion.
1: No. No. Well, now, if we're going to get really technical, the word deconstruction actually has an original meaning or definition. It's about the unity of text. It's about lining up the terms that we use and agreeing on the definitions of those terms prior to having a conversation. It became commonly known around the idea of evaluating our religious beliefs and changing our mind about them. So that's what it's become commonly known for. But there is two different ways to look at that. But we are going to start talking about not only religious deconstruction, but we're going to be talking about where you find your power in life, the different stages of your life and where your power comes from and how you approach life. And uh, so that's going to be a really interesting conversation that's more psychological in nature. And then we'll move into the ideas of deconstructing that, using those stages of power to deconstruct our religious idealism. So
0: i am very oh, yeah. excited i will just note though that michelle keeps having me buy more books <laughs> so i bought a book i read it i was ready and then we're like you know what we're gonna put that at this next series so i'm reading currently mm-hmm. the the series for september <laughs> <laughs> but i should get the book for august here uh hopefully on Saturday, well so very you buddy. know
1: i'm a book person you know that I have a podcast all of its own that deals around specifically all about book. bookish. Yeah, books. Bookish, yeah, bookish. The canon continues, and that's specifically about books. So I'm always about reading the next thing, and not to brag, but I read anywhere from 150 to 200 books a year. So it's it's a big part of my life.
0: It's not a big deal to you, but it is a big deal to me. But I am thrilled <laughs> about this, and I am so excited. Okay for what's coming next. All
1: right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Welcome back to 4 and Toe Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth, and I'm here to talk to you about my show. 4 and Toe Podcast is created by me, Elizabeth, a homeschool mom with the goal of encouraging parents on their journeys through homeschooling. From unschooling to the classical approach, I explore all styles and forms of homeschooling Ultimately to remind you, the parent, that you've got this. From the Fade to Gray Network, check out the Four and Toe Podcast.